Welcome back to the podcast that rocked, weekly podcast that talks about news in the rock and metal alternative worlds and everything in between. It has been an interesting week to say the least, and let's just cut right to it. There's no other real news as prevalent and as giant in rock and metal as this past weekend than the fact that the apocalypse started. Literally, the end of the world is finally upon us. And we have received the first new Tool album since 10,000 Days in 2006. Was it worth the wait? Was Fear Inoculum finally something to be delivered and something that people can stand by and enjoy for years to come? In my opinion, I really enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, I think I love it. It's not perfect. It is not a flawless diamond. There are faults. There are choices. Let me put it this way. There are choices made in this album for Fear Inoculum that definitely hinder it more than help it. The album alone, the physical copy of, of seven tracks, is still way too much for the time when spent and what you're getting on each track. Tempest is one of my favorite songs of by Tool ever now. That is the exception to the rule, where it's 16 minutes long, and I feel every second adds to it. Then you get something like the title track, Fear Inoculum. The first two minutes is just, you know, how do I even put an ambient noise? And the build-up to this album was not needed on the album because we already had the build-up. It was over a decade of wanting to know when we were getting new tool. We didn't need an extra two minutes of more build-up just for that, just to really string us along. But other than that, looking at the additional tracks on the digital copy, like Mocking Beats and things like that, they add very little to nothing on an album that already had way too much to deliver on. All those complaints being said, I still think this was worth the wait. The high points outshine the low ones in droves, and that is a huge deal. I don't know... If we're ever going to get another Tool album after this, to be honest. And that's just how it is, too. I mean, look at the, the age of the men in the band. Maynard already has side projects. Can we get another Tool album? Yeah, sure, it's possible. Maybe in four years from now, something will happen. Maybe A Perfect Circle's done. I know a lot of people don't really think of it that way. Maybe Billy Howardell is going to try to do something different as well. Maybe he'll go down the Trent Reznor Road and start writing for a movie and film projects, TV scores, things like that. I don't know what's going to happen in the future other than Tool is going to tour later this year, which is awesome. It's going to be another big arena tour. They're going to start with Aftershock, which I'm hoping to get, in, get approved to so I can see Tool again, but many other bands. But Tool came back in 2019. That's what we should focus on. Fear Inoculum is here. I think it's excellent. Um, to give some of the other ratings from the Rock Coliseum, Crash gave it a 5 out of 5. John gave it a... Uh, Wow, blanking already. 8 out of 10 or 4 out of 5, if I'm correct. And Mark gave it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> Mark was the dissenter. And he gave his points just like everyone else did. I stand by mine a 9 out of 10 because I don't think it's perfect, but I definitely think it's worth hearing and owning. And I know when this one comes out on vinyl, it'll sell like crazy. And they said it will eventually be put out on vinyl after such a well-received... Um, well-received launch of the cd packaging which i actually have with the video board the small video board with a little mini speaker that just plays this amazing animation with alien-esque imagery and transitions the artwork in the book is amazing me describing it doesn't do it justice so 
if you find find it online, like some of the unboxings or openings. Wow, I'm recommending unboxings on my channel. Wow, I've really stooped to something low. But this one's worth it, so I'll stand by this one. It's worth checking out. The artwork is gorgeous. Maynard, Adam, they all really focus on something unique here, and there's nothing else like it. And that's how Fear Inoculum feels, too. In 2019, we got an album filled with 10-minute-plus jam tracks. And it's exactly what I thought it would be. It's literally the band just going unhinged and playing as long as they want. I had a feeling that's what it was going to be, and I was not disappointed. And I think that's where also helped my expectations. And while some people expected more, some people expected more singles or striking songs, I heard saw a lot of comments about that. Tool cannot please everyone, or Tool, can pl- Tool cannot please everyone, even though it's Tool. They just can't. Some of the best comments I read that were actual comments that gave strong arguments or opinions, saying that like 10,000 Days in Lateralis had those five, six-minute songs that were so striking that you just want to go back to over and over again. And that's lacking in Fear Inoculum. That's a valid point if you see it that way. I mean, you have the pots and uh, Rosetta Stone and Schism and The Grudge and things like that. Where if you're an oculum, it's an experience and it's a time investment. If you want to sit down and listen to something like Tempest or Descending even. I love Descending too. I don't know if I can have an argument against that. At least that is a valid critique. However, there are many, many, many people who are saying this did not live up to their expectations. And after 13 years, I can at least see why. We all had wild vivid expectations of what this album would be, and I don't think everyone's going to be happy about it. Tool could have released the greatest album of all time, and there still would have been people that were disappointed by some of it. That's just human nature. That's how it is. That's how we curb our enthusiasm. That's how our expectations are met one way or another. Sometimes we get more than what we want. Sometimes we get less. I, for one, enjoy it. I think this is... A great entry. It stands up to the rest of Tool's discography. It's not the best Tool album by far. I My personal favorite is Lateralis. I know many other people's is Anima. Anima? Wow, I'm really botching the pronunciation of that right now. Some people love 10,000 Days, you know? I just... I feel this is below Lateralis, and it's on par with 10,000 Days, even though 10,000 Days is very different sonically and in style. So, with that being said, what do you think about Fear Inoculum? I already posted my review of it. I'll link it in the video. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll have the video card. You can have it on the links in the below in the comments. You can see it on GetRock.net. What do you think about Fear Inoculum? This was my most watched album review in years. Maybe ever. Um, just like my basic album reviews. So a lot of people already had things to say. Like, here, wanted to hear what I had to say. And there are many other album reviews out there. I want to know what other people have to say, though. I want to know what expectations were met, what you love about it, what you didn't love about it. Were all the ambient sequences too much for you and you just couldn't get into it? Were the songs too long? Were the songs the perfect length and each song an investment in time that you loved, like Descending and Invincible and even Numa and the title track? What else did you love? What else did you hate? And one other big question I want to ask about Fear Inoculum to everyone else what did you think about Maynard's performance? P- 
people are ra- raving about Adam Jones going unhinged. I personally loved Justin and Danny's performance on here. The rhythm section really drove this, I felt. Adam was amazing in Tempest, which is my favorite song on the album. Maynard was a little more reserved. To put it politely, he sounded more focused than ferocious. This was not him coming unhinged and screaming into the microphone over and over again. Do you think that hurt it? Do you think that helped it? Do you think that's just a part of time? You know, he's in his 50s now. Look at all the albums under his discography and him doing so many other things. Maybe he just can't hit those high notes anymore. Maybe he can't just scream that much. Or maybe the music that he included on here didn't really require that much anger and animosity. What do you think about Maynard's performance on Fear Inoculum? I'll leave that with you. And if you have not heard Fear Inoculum yet, it's on streaming services. And in my opinion, it's worth paying for the digital copy and download right now. Literally, it's worth owning at full price. It'll be interesting to see if they make it number one, just like Slipknot did a couple weeks ago. That would mean two metal albums made number one on Billboard's top 200 albums in a month. I don't know the last time a rock or metal albums that happened for in the same month in a long time. And don't tell me, oh, Maroon 5 did it or something. No, that does not count. You know it. So, what are your thoughts on Fear Inoculum? Let me know in the comments. Believe it or not, other things are going on in the world of rock and metal, though, besides Tool finally releasing a new album. One of the things going on right now is Kiss's End of the World Tour. And boy, oh boy, Kiss is still going strong in... What Gene Simmons is now 70 years old, so technically I can say in Kiss's 70s. And Kiss has been around for decades and many iterations with many different members. It's interesting to see if this actually will be the end of the road for them. Meaning, will this be their final world tour? Because Kiss is one of the bands that I like to think are like the Rolling Stones. They'll have a few final tours, if you get what I mean. And Gene Simmons, eh, not exactly the most trustworthy when you trust his word and business analyst and projects and things like that. One of my favorite stories was told by a comedian that was touring. I can't remember his name. He was touring an opening for Corey Taylor's solo project like about a year ago, year and a half ago. And he told the story of what Gene Simmons said. Sometimes you have a person who's the driver. He's the driver of the car. Then you have the person in the driver's seat holding the map and giving directions. And then you have two other people who are just along for the ride in the back. That was Gene Simmons' way of describing him and a guitarist in the band and then just the, ba- and then just the other guitarist and drummer in the back just along for the ride. Just interchangeable. Whoever's back there, whatever, you know. It's so bad. It's just throwing other people under the bus like that and then your own band members. I don't know. It's, anyway, Kiss uh, made a little bit of funny news too and this is something more lighthearted because Kiss's End of the World Tour is selling well. They're doing good. If anyone knows anything about KISS, you know they have merch. They have put their brand, their face paints, and everything. KISS logos on every piece of plastic, every toy, every t-shirt, every article of clothing, every type of music instrument, every poster, everything you can imagine has a KISS branded logo on it somewhere. They have licensed their merchandising to anyone imaginable, and they have succeeded through that. So they make so much money off of royalties alone, it's maddening. 
Well, they stopped in Cincinnati for part of their tour, and they misspelled Cincinnati on all the T-shirts there, and people were causing a stink about that. Apparently, there was an extra T in one of the Cincinnati's, if I'm correct. Um, eh, from what I see, yeah, annoying, but for the amount of merchandise that this band has put out just in the past tour alone, and you misspell one word, let alone the decades, and you misspell one word, eh, Really? You're, you're going to be that upset about that? Come on. I. It's funny to think about just because it's Kiss too. It's like, yeah, well, Kiss could probably release another 10 t-shirt lines and someone will buy that and just make it'll make up for it if Cincinnati's really that hurt by it. Also, if they were really hurt by it, Kiss could probably go, okay, you send in your shirt with a misprint, we'll send you a new one back in the mail. I don't think they'll do that. I mean, <laughs> it's Kiss. They're not. They don't have to. But still, I could. There's other ways around it too. I don't know how else to say this. Kiss, I like as a band. I gave them a thumbs up in the Rock Coliseum, just like everyone else did. And, and there's no other way to really say this. Kiss, eh, they're a bit of trend chasers back in the day. They went through some changes where they really attempted to cash in on what was popular. You know, the hair metal, the grunge, they tried. Especially Gene Simmons when he was doing solo stuff too later on. But I still take Kiss for what it is. It's fun rock. That's everything that it should be. The biggest hits, the biggest songs from back in the 70s and early 80s, those are the timeless staples that are still going to last. I also stand by what I said when I described them in the Rock Coliseum. No one is listening to a Kiss while studying for the bar exam or going through med school. It's not the purpose of Kiss. Kiss is music meant to have fun. So with that being said, now in 2019, Gene Simmons in his now 70s. What do you think about Kiss finally calling it a day, supposedly, with the end of the world tour? Or the end of the road, excuse me. There's so many different acronyms you could call for. End of the world, end of the road. What do you think about KISS finally wrapping it up? Do you think they have anything else to prove? I don't, personally. But what do you think? Have you seen KISS live? What are your memories, experiences, seeing the band live, if you have? I shot them back in 2017 uh, at Chicago Open Air, and they were part of a big three-day festival. I can't stress enough, I have never heard more mothers and, like, women cutting loose in the front of the barricade. Well, you think these big three-day monster energy festivals are nothing but kids and, like, grown men just fighting to the front of the barricade to rock out and start pits? Oh, not for Kiss. It was Mom City, and they were loving it. This was their night. It was a Friday night. It was the first night of that festival. Rob Zombie just played right before Kiss, and Rob Zombie tore the house down for that show, and people were all riled up, and Kiss delivered for the spectacle. It was a show. You know, Gene Simmons was there doing his thing. The entire band was really putting on the performance that people wanted to see. It was the full spectacle, and it was worthy of ending a festival night. And it was awesome for that. What If you've seen KISS, what do you think of them? Especially if you've seen them on this tour, or if you're going to. Leave a comment, let me know what you think about KISS in 2019. This is going to be a little bit of... Uh, an exclusive for all you podcast listeners. So you're going to hear my thoughts early before I do an album review. We talked about Tool. We talked about Kiss. Now we're going to talk about Puddle of Mud. It's finally time we see what they're up to in 2019. Mudfest has been going strong. It's been They have not been playing huge events. They've done their tour with Saliva and Tantric and Trapped. And you know what? From what people are saying, it's a fine enough tour for people that want that music. 
The shows are going on. Wes is completely cleaned up. He's not causing like riots and just having people walk off on him on stage while he sits there and screams at the audience and just complains in a drunken stupor. You know what? That's how it should be. He's, I think he's finally realized that he, he had to get his life back together so that way he still has a career and can still make money. And people are going to the shows for these small Mudfest tours, tour dates. And hey, it works. Well, I was sent, along with many other uh, album reviewers, outlets, uh, music critics, things like that, the new Puddle of Mud album, Welcome to Galvania. I can honestly say, and I mean this sincerely and honestly, I wanted to give them another chance. I wanted to see if they've matured or improved. I say this, I say they, I mean Wes, because it's totally different guys in the band with him than it was back in the days of Come Clean. I wanted to see if Puddle of Mud has evolved or changed. I wanted to give the benefit of the doubt. I can honestly say, Welcome to Galvania gave me a headache. This is the first album I have heard in years where I sat down and listened to it all the way through, and the album literally hurt to listen to. I didn't have the music blaring. I had it on my nice computer speakers just to fill the house, no other distractions. And, oh, it was... There's so many points I want to like bring up. Um, if you've not heard the single Uh-Oh, that's literally just a time capsule of 2000, 2001. Literally, that's the entire album, too. Wes Scantlin sounds worse. He is trying his best to do a Kurt Cobain impression on some of these songs, and he sounds rough. It is a harsh groan. It's not even so... The nasally singing is terrible, but you have to hold that nasally note for seconds on end. And he's trying his best to give some type of delivery, and it's so grating that it's kind of maddening, and you just want him to stop. On top of that, this music is mixed terribly. The drums, the drumming is brought to the front. It's raised so much higher than it needs to be. So you're hearing this pretty standard stock drum beat, which is kind of mediocre. There's nothing special about it. This is like any high school drummer in drum lessons could pull. While Wes groans on and on about the same subject matter he sang about for years. Bad relationships, women, breakups, just being a pain, things like that. Not one thing has changed. What, what else can I say? Nothing's different. This is, this is arguably worse than Come Clean. Because as much as I despised Come Clean and thought Puddle of Mud was one of the most overrated, overhyped, flash-in-the-pan bands just catching onto a trend... There were some moments of good guitar work with harmonics. There was at least memorable moments. There were laughably bad moments, like with She Hates Me. What? Welcome to Galvania has nothing. It's just garbage. It's nothing. What happened? This is a sober, clean Wes Scantlin, and this is what he makes? Uh, it's so hard to really talk about it. I, I don't want to go track by track, because that's not the point of the podcast. And I'm going to do an album review on it. I'm dedicated to it now. The music is so just unlistenable. I don't know who this is going to appeal to. I don't know how people are going to be able to defend this. Even the long-standing Puddle of Mud fans who loved him back in the day, and even all, after all the mess Wes Scantlin has caused over the past few years, and then cleaned himself up without putting out new music, I don't even know how they'll be able to defend this album. There are no real singles. Uh-oh, it's not a single. 
It's just a song that you could laugh at. And it's not even that good. It doesn't even have the staying power that She Hates Me had. There's so many negatives on this. I can say this right now. For regular album reviews, I normally don't do an album review if I'm going to give it lower than a four, naturally. Because I don't want to waste the time. This one breaks that rule. As of now, like I'm going to have to listen to it one more time because I've already listened to it twice in a row. I can't see myself giving this higher than a, a three out of ten. So if that stands, this will be the lowest I've ever given an album on a regular album review on my channel. I don't know how else to put it. There's no way to be nice about it. I will try to be as level and objective as I can be. And honestly, I just don't see any appeal. I, it's a shame, too, because this could have been the big comeback here. But the musicians behind him aren't strong enough to really make the music any better behind his singing ability. I'm being polite when I say that. There is the guitarist, the new guitarist in Puddle of Mud. He's trying to do a couple of nice little solos and melodies, and you can hear him putting in a little effort, but it is not enough to save anything on this album. It is not worth listening to. So, is it the worst album I've heard this year? I don't think so. I unfortunately have heard worse this year, and um, when I do my top five worst albums of 2019, as of now, yeah, this is going to be on there for sure, though. May not be the worst, worst. But it's definitely on there. So I pass this on to you. If you've heard Uh-Oh, what do you think of the song? Because I can tell you right now, if you've heard that, you've heard more than enough, you, more than you need to, to make an opinion of Welcome to Galvania, the latest album from Puddle of Mud. It's not going to be worth your time. If you can sit through Uh-Oh, especially watch the music video, because the music video really is stripped right out of that MTV TRL time frame where they're trying to be funny and hokey and match the music video to the lyric story, and the lyrics are garbage anyway. What do you think about it all? It's awesome that Wes cleaned up, but it's a shame there's nothing really to show for it in the music. Switching gears, because I'll do anything to talk about another band besides Puddle of Mud, especially after what I heard... Of Mice and Men have their new album coming out, Earth and Sky, at the end of this month. September has a lot of big albums coming out, too, but Of Mice and Men's one that I've always had an interest in ever since Austin left the band. Their last album, Cold World, I thought was dreadful. A pain to get through. And their live performances really were suffering back then, even though they were playing big audience and getting really high up spots at festivals. And Austin just could not continue on. His health was degrading too bad, and he finally had to step aside. That's admirable that he did that that way, that he left without ill will or feeling bitter towards everything, like, because he had some bad health problems. It's not stuff you can just shake off and hopefully get better through someday. It's stuff you have to deal with through the rest of your life. And instead of trying to find a new singer, Of Mice and Men just worked with what they had. They, like, reshifted responsibilities. I honestly feel... After hearing the previous album, Defy, and listening to some, I haven't heard the whole album, but some of the latest album, Earth and Sky, especially the title track, of Mice and Men sound more focused. They sound stronger. The music writing is better. This is a lot more screaming, that's for sure. It's a lot more bite and growl for metalcore, but at the same time, it works for them. That being said, they're a stronger sounding band and a weaker live band. 
Their live performance is not nearly the level that it was before. Austin had a charisma to him. And now when you have some stationary musicians just really screaming their music and playing their jamming their songs on stage, not moving away from microphone stands or drum kits, it really just kind of goes for a stand and watch show. And I don't know which I would prefer because if Of Mice and Men can sell albums, that's what's going to make money. But at the same time, they got to make some money on the tours, too. And they're performing at smaller and smaller clubs throughout the country over the past year. And a couple of years ago, when they were playing bigger venues and headlining or supporting other bands in really like good-sized venues, now they're playing smaller clubs. And I've been checking that on the tour dates and things like that. It's just it's obvious. I don't know what the future is going to hold for Of Mice and Men. Maybe this album will be able to pull it off. Earth and Sky comes out again at the end of September. The new song, the self-titled track, it's not bad. It's got, again, it's a growly track, but there's some good guitar work. There's a good rhythm to it. It got a fun little music video with it that they put some effort into for something different. I'll put link in on the YouTube cards. I don't know what to think of Of Mice and Men in 2019. For the abrupt forced changes they had to make... They're doing the best they can, and they're doing fine with that, too. Again, Defy was good. I thought it was fine. It was much better than Cold World. That's for sure. And I, from what I've heard so far from Earth and Sky, I can see it being better than Cold World also, this new album. I just don't know if it's going to move units, and I don't know if it's going to pull people into the venues. And that's kind of a shame. So... Maybe I'm wrong. I'll gladly eat my words if that's the case, because that means something great for a band that I enjoy. Or I should be enjoying more than I do. I should say it better this way. I'm not a diehard of Mice and Men fan, but I like them fine enough. And here's hoping they can pull something out. What do you think of Mice and Men? What do you think of their new 2019 song, Earth and Sky? I'm going to leave a link in the YouTube card and in the comments. Check it out. Come back. Let me know what you think in the comments. Also, let me know what you think of Mice and Men now without Austin. And moving on from that is something I noticed. It was like on a news bulletin this past week, and I really wanted to talk about it. This is more for personal preference. And this is still music-related, and if you hear me out, you'll get why. This month marks 20 years since Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was released on PlayStation 1. That game was an iconic part of many people's childhoods in the United States, and all throughout the world, too. Even if you couldn't care less about skateboarding, even if you never picked up a skateboard or even tried to ride on one, you cared about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. That's how much fun that game was, playing through the different warehouse, the warehouse and the Chicago plants and all the different little um, courses. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. The mini parks and things like that. There's so many things to go through. And you can be different characters like Bob Bernquist. Let's be honest, everyone was Tony unless they had to be someone different. And it was so crazy because this game in concept probably should not have been taken off as well as it did because it was so fun, so easy to pick up and play, which is something that's really missing nowadays. Video games are missing that one feature of you can't just pick up a game and start playing it right away. There are no short, fun games anymore. Even a game like Mortal Kombat 11, you have to like really load it up, get like queued, go through the towers. It takes a little bit longer than just picking up the controller, turning the machine on, pushing a few buttons, and you're ready to go. Tony Hawk Skater nailed that, and it was so much fun, one player or two, playing horse with like trying to get point combos, finding all the different things. Okay, that's enough about the actual game. The fact that it had a real soundtrack... 
and it was customed for each game helped define so much music in that era. I mean, just hearing Primus um, with God Will Hunt and uh, Jimmy was a race car driver while skating around was such like a vivid memory for me. And hearing all the different music you could in the first one. And then Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, which is my personal favorite. Hearing Rage Against the Machine and Power Man 5000 and Anthrax and all these other bands while you played was just so great. I loved number two the most, but number one really is the brand that like set everything off that everyone had, everyone talked about at school on the school bus and things like that. It's weird to think that's a game that started it off. It's a it's a shame that what happened after the uh, to the franchise after they tried to do it updated and try to release new games and it really failed out miserably with Tony Hawk Eight and everything else. But at the same time, that doesn't change how great the games used to be. I loved these games so much as they evolved to PlayStation Two with Tony Hawk Pro Skater Three and Four. I adore these games. The music was such a key part of it too. I wish more video games could really rely on that now, whether that's sports games, if they ever do another solid skateboarding game. Sports games are besides Madden and NBA. I mean, like really fun sports games that are unique are kind of hard to come by. I don't know if you can really count Rocket League, uh, but you know, that's just how I see it. I feel like good, fun sports games are very rare now. And I feel like good soundtracks are going to become even more rare. I wish we had more of those. I wish we had more solid games that were fun to hear the music with. And they were real music, too. Not just... Nothing against, like, composed soundtracks. You know, I'm big on actual music composed for specific games. Skyrim, Final Fantasy, things like that. But... What I do love is when they have like real soundtracks that work well and you can go listen to the music outside of the game. And that's what Tony Hawk did so great. Um, I have so many memories from that game playing with my friend in high school over at his place. And then when I got Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 on PS1 and like he would come over to my place to play that and just playing for hours and listening to the actual music on it because it was so solid. And some of the music has not aged well. Some of it still stands up. So, and that's what's just great about that and what I love about it. So, I will close this podcast session recording a touch earlier since I'm by myself. I beg the question to you, what are some of your favorite video game soundtracks that have real soundtracks to them? Sports games have a lot of those, but like also of any other video games that you know of that have them too. What are some of your favorites? I mean, the Tony Hawk's ones are up there for me, especially Tony Hawk 2. So, what other video games do you love that have killer rock, metal, alternative punk soundtracks. That being said, this has been another short week because Tool dominated so much airtime. I have several album reviews coming up this month, one on Korn's The Nothing For Sure, and then one on Puddle of Mud, unfortunately. I'm going to try to do a few more. I'm also going to start working on the top 10 best rock songs featuring special guests, like I talked about last week. Um, to like Think songs like Queen featuring David Bowie with Under Pressure, things like that. If you have suggestions, feel free to drop them here. I'll be checking on the other comments on the last video too, but if you have new ones here, feel free to drop comments on that. You can find out all my... You can come in contact with me on Facebook and Twitter at Rocktonet. You can check out my concert photography at GetRocktonet if you ever want to know what I do at concerts and festivals. 
Also, you can find all these episodes. I know I say this every time, but it's on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So that way, if you don't want to do the YouTube thing, you can listen to it that way. However, if you do, check it out on YouTube through here, and you can actually leave comments. Go to GetRock.net. I'll leave links to all the music I talked about so you can check out some of the stuff that we actually discussed. Please let me know if you are interested in hearing like more guests on this show. I have some lined up down the road. Probably going to start having guests coming up again. Um, if you have any suggestions for topics, let me know. Here's hoping we have uh, more great months for rock and metal like we did in August, because this was the best month we've had in a very long time. Slipknot, Tool, Kill Switch Engage. I mean, when Kill Switch, when Kill Switch Engage is on the lower tier, you know you're doing pretty good for the month. So, hopefully you guys have a good week, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.